Welcome to Publishing Gribble, the podcast that breaks the rules and helps you kickstart your career as a successful nonfiction author and entrepreneur. I'm your host, Melina Benson. Hey everyone, this is another episode of the Publishing Gribble podcast. Do you want to know from the king of Amazon how to become the king or queen of Amazon? Today, my guest is Dave Chesson. He was one of the first guys I learned from when I entered the world of publishing almost a decade ago. He's a military vet, a family man, a fiction author, and most importantly to the listeners, he is the founder of Kindlepreneur and has inspired thousands of authors to build their author career off Amazon. He's been featured in Forbes Entrepreneur, Ally, Huffington Post, and even Market Watch. He has also been a consultant for several of the major publishers, so he knows this industry. I want to say, in short, Dave is the most prominent expert on Amazon ranking. And apart from this, his incredibly deep knowledge, he has also developed fantastic tools that has have a massive impact and a mass, been a massive help for me in helping nonfiction authors become Amazon bestsellers. And in particular, we're going to talk also about Publisher Rocket. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. As <laughs> I mentioned in the intro, I feel I've known you for a decade <laughs> and follow everything you've done, been using Publisher Rocket and also a lot of the other tools. So first of all, thank you for inspiring so many authors to become self-publishers. I think you are an important part of this industry and, and help change this industry as well. Well, it, it's been a fun ride. I remember back in the day before we had Kindle Direct Publishing, authors had to go through gatekeepers and we were stuck. You just had to hope and kiss the ring and bend the knee and maybe you get in. And now for the first time ever, we have the ability to take control of that, you know, and get our books out there. And so it's just been a wonderful change in the industry. And I've just been enjoying every step of the way. Yeah. So I know you're an author yourself. Can you give us a, a brief like recap of your author journey? Yeah. Well, you know, back in the day, well, I still have dyslexia and I've always been kind of afflicted with dyslexia. So when I was growing up, I used to think to myself, man, writing is just not going to be my thing. You know, I would work really hard in English class and I'd get like C minuses and every other class I'd get like an A plus. And but it doesn't mean that your desire to write just goes away. I was always creative. I always loved uh, reading. I, I was a major movie buff, but somebody who actually like broke down the stories and thought about why this character works, but this character didn't. And so finally, I was uh, deployed in Korea and I was trying to find a way to make extra money and hopefully to build a career that would allow me to leave the military, but still be able to support my family. And so my wife and I set this goal of I need to be able to make $10,000 a month. And that would allow me to move from the military and, and again, take care of the bills. Like it was a very strategic decision. And if I could do that, then we can we can be together. My, you know, my wife and kids were stuck in the U.S. I was deployed. So I like I didn't get to see them for over two years thanks to military uh, obligations. So it was a real goal of mine. It wasn't just a random, oh, I want to make extra money. It was, I want to be home with my children. So I probably is a little bit more inclined and in not just focusing on the art of writing, but also focusing on the business of writing. 
And I think that's a very important thing for authors to balance. If you're being, if you're going to be a self-published author, you really have to be both. In the old days, it was, let me write really well. And then let me, let's hope I somehow get in front of an agent and that let's hope the agent gets me in front of a publishing company. And let's hope that the publishing company takes this very seriously. And then when that happens, the publishing company does a lot of the business and you, the author, get to do a lot of the writing. There's a lot of let's hopes in that that process. And as a matter of fact, I would tell anybody listening that if you're looking to become a published author, you still need to know the business side because that helps you to get in front of the people. That's a whole nother subject we can go over if anybody's really interested in learning about how to become a published author. But let's just state that everything we're going to talk about going forward still applies. And what that is, is that we as authors have to be authorpreneurs. Okay. We have to be able to write and be good authors. And we have to be entrepreneurs. We have to learn about how Amazon works, how marketing works, how to engage people and find readers and build up our books. We cannot just put our books on Amazon and just kind of like, all right, Amazon, do your magic thing, you know, wave, wave the hands, make some sales. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And those things can really hurt you. So for me, it wasn't just about let me just write and write good books. It was about how do I make sure that my best book becomes a best selling book? And so I spent half my time, I would break up half of my author time between writing and working on my art and at the same time learning about the business side of it. And so I took different directions. Instead of just kind of writing whatever I felt like, I would do market research to try to figure out, okay, Let's see, what is it that people are searching for, but they're not receiving, right? What is it that shoppers on Amazon really want to read, but the stuff that's offered to them is either bad, insufficient, or it doesn't actually cover what they want. And so from that part, I was able to start doing a whole bunch of like learning exercises and realizing what makes Amazon tick and what do they do? And I applied that towards my writing. And this really helped me to grow because instead of writing and hoping it just somehow clicks, I would take my idea and twist it a little, kind of shift it to fit the market need. And from there, that was where I was able to really gain a lot of traction, get my foot in the door, start to become very well known in certain industries. And I was finally able to leave the military and do this full time, which has been absolutely wonderful. I love that what you're mentioning here is also that you start with the marketing part, identifying market needs is a marketing discipline, right? It's it's on yes. page one. <laughs> it's on page one in any marketing Bible. I identify the market need. What I experience quite often, I mostly work with nonfiction authors. They know there's a market because they already have customers who buy their services, their consulting, their coaching, public speaking. They know there are customers there. But most authors I meet completely skip that step of mm -hmm. identifying more specifically what are people looking for. Right. And we can break that out between fiction and nonfiction because nonfiction, it kind of makes sense, right? It's it's about what people want to learn, what results they want, what pain point they have, like what do they want to fix? It's about identifying with this book being for them and not just some random broad thing, right? These things are very important to do. And it's, it's, I would say it's even more critical for nonfiction to absolutely do that. 
However, though, fiction is also the same thing. With fiction, you may say to yourself, well, I'm going to write a fantasy book. Oh, okay, hold on. There's a lot of flavors to fantasy. Well, I'm going to write this particular type, all right? Lit RPG cultivation. Okay, good. We've started to kind of branch down to a very specific genre, okay? But here's where research comes in for you. And, and then this, I think, makes a lot of sense to genre writers is that, well, there are certain tropes. There are certain do's and don'ts. There are certain types of characters. There are certain types of things. And doing that research and understanding what's to be expected really helps you to fit. But also, too, you need to understand what is it that litter PG cultivation shoppers are looking for. So when you build your book cover, when you are writing your book description, what you don't want to do is you don't want to differentiate so much so that litter PG cultivation readers think, oh, that's not a litter PG cultivation book. And they move on. The other thing, too, is doing your research and making sure that the words that litter PG cultivation shoppers use when searching for the next book are the words that your book shows up for. And so these this research method is really the difference between sitting down blindly writing something, throwing it up there and just kind of hoping that people stumble upon it and that it hopefully connects with a certain group of people and therefore make sales. And I would say too that the publishing companies have been doing this since forever, right? They don't just randomly say, oh man, somebody sent us a book and we're going to read the whole book. And if we like it, we're going to sign it. It doesn't work that way. What they're doing is, okay, so what's trending right now? All right, what is it that people are wanting? Can we get a book on that? Hey, great. Go grab a couple of books here. Let's sit here and look and which one do we think will connect with the market the most and make us the most money? All right, let's go with that one. I mean, so even the publishing companies do exactly this. And I think it's very important for authors because like I said, authorpreneur, you have to incorporate that business component into your writing as well as into your marketing. Yeah. And also there's even, even if you do know there's a need, there's also like technicalities to this now getting down to the specific words people use for what they're typing into the search bar when they are trying to express that need it might be different words <laughs> absolutely as a matter of fact honestly i can credit about 95 percent of my success over exactly that which is understanding the words that shoppers are using when they're looking for books so when i first started writing i wasn't famous uh, I didn't have a following. I wouldn't even say it like considering like 15 years ago compared to now, 15 years ago, my writing was not amazing. Okay. I'm still not saying that my writing's amazing. I'm no John, you know, or um, Hemingway or anything like that, but I'm infinitely better than I was then. Cause that's 15 years of work. So I'm not famous. Don't have a following. My writing's not sensational. Right. How does someone like me get that start? And for me, the biggest thing was again, this market research, it was discovering. That, oh my goodness, there are so many people going to Amazon every day and typing in this phrase and no books are showing up for what they're looking for. Oh my goodness, there's all these people that type in this phrase and they're getting books that don't meet their needs or, oh, I want to buy it, but people are buying it because it's the only option. I'm going to do better. And so I started to shift in that way and I started to build books that fit with that. I also had a couple of books that I was writing at the time and through my research, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to pivot. If I pivot here, I will address that market. And so when I did this, it not only made it that I was making book sales, it was meaning that I was making book sales every day, every week, every month. And it was not this giant surge of sales and then drop off that fall of 
Matter of fact, my first ever book to this day is still, you know, doing two, $3,000 a month. And I haven't touched it in a very, very long time. And so my next book and my next book, they built off of each other. And that's what allowed me to be able to, like I said, leave the military and be home full time because of those works and how they have stacked on each other. All right. So let's dive a little bit more into what it takes to become an Amazon bestseller. What we were talking about here is obviously keywords. So when people, uh, I know there's more to that, we'll get back to categories in a minute, but when when people then find your book, the first thing they will then see is a details page. And I know you did some research on what actually works putting on that details page. So let's dive a little bit into that. Yeah. So before we get into the details page, I want to talk about what I like to call the, um, excuse me, the connections between the entire path. Okay. So imagine you're a shopper, you go to Amazon and you type something in to Amazon search bar. Now, the first thing that you would do is you'd probably look at the covers and you look at some of the titles maybe, and you try to figure out if any of those books fit exactly what you're looking for. And if it doesn't, usually what people will do is they'll go back up to the search bar and they'll add a word or phrase that helps, you know, maybe cut out the things they didn't like and maybe streamline the process. So it's a better result. So they'll do this a couple of times until they finally see covers and titles and subtitles that tell them, yep, this is it. All right, let's go ahead and really look into these. Okay. So then the shopper starts to scroll down the search results. Okay. And they're looking for books that connect with them. Now, at this point, if that cover looks like it's the right fit, if that title and subtitle feels like it's talking to them or meeting their needs, or is their kind of book, whatever it is, they will click. Now we're at the details page, or as I like to call it, the book sales page. Okay. And we did research. We did this uh, heat map study to basically look at exactly what shoppers are looking for, where they spend the most time and what's most important to them when trying to finally decide if this is the book they want to buy and thus read. How many did you look at? Oh, hundreds. We and it was we, what we did was we actually paid people to go into a computer, a specialized computer and just do their shopping. These people were book shoppers and we had them basically shop around on Amazon, you know, to find a book. And there was a camera that actually tracked their eyes as well as measured where their mouse was and where they engaged. And this helped us to kind of build this heat map so that we could actually see what was most important to them. And there is a lot of stuff that's out there on it. But some of the most core things, okay, is in fiction, okay, specifically, we noticed that the biggest details people focused on the cover was the elements of the book that truly represented the genre itself, okay? So what do I mean by this? Well, if you have your female protagonist standing in the middle of the cover, that's fine. However, though, the little dragon flying in the back, that got the most attention. Or if it's, say, a um, gas lamp, that's what it is. That's it. That's actually a time period where they use the gas lamps and everything like that. If you put a gas lamp, and it's on a street, the gas lamp got the most attention because it fit the searcher's search. There's this one that I love. It's actually one of my favorite books called Rogue Dungeon. And sure enough, you got this cool guy who looks, you know, he's got his armor, but behind him is a giant ogre. The ogre got way more attention than the person standing in the front. It's because the eyes are drawn to the thing that helped them to say, okay, yeah, this is your kind of fiction. With nonfiction, on the other hand, it was funny. The title and subtitle usually got the most Uh, attention. And it really depends on what you're teaching uh, in that nonfiction, what you're showing. But the symbolic image 
was hit or miss. And so we we started to realize there's a big difference between just putting some random apple up there just because or some random butterfly if it really didn't fit. And so we saw this differentiation. But the next biggest thing, and this is by far the most important thing I say to anybody on on the book sales page, is your book description is so important. Now, I know that makes that sounds like good boy, Dave, like we know this. But let me tell you, we found that book descriptions that read like a book report turn people off. I, I think it's probably one of the biggest mistakes so many authors make is that when they go to write their book description, they give so many details. They're almost telling the entire story. It's like we go back to like middle school when we had to give our book report. We're like, you know, and this person did this and then this person and then this person. And I'm like, guys, you have to write a movie trailer, you know, in the land of dark, you know, where where sky is always gray. There's one hero that shines in a time of lack of, you know, <laughs> of light and, and brings hope to the world. Michael is a young, you know, elf who was cast away from his family. Like You see what I'm saying? Like that's and by the way, I, I usually tell people, too, I've got a couple of rules on book descriptions, especially with Amazon, because online shoppers are quicker to move off a book than a store book. So uh, you have to be really particular. But number one, only mention one character name. OK, at most two but if you hit three, all bets are off. Okay. Um, so it's like one of those things to impress upon people. You really have to be very quick, just like a movie trailer. You know what? Movie trailers are 30 seconds. Why? Is that true for nonfiction as well? So nonfiction is a little bit different. Okay. But in fiction though, just make sure that you are not giving too many details and that if, could you turn it into a movie trailer? Now, nonfiction is about the benefits. Okay. Uh, it's also people are lazy, especially online. So they're not going to read paragraphs on the nonfiction. Now, this is, they might read a little bit. So you need to structure it where the eyes can carry through. You bold certain phrases that are really important. You bullet point, you know, you create bullet points in the book description that list that don't say you will learn this. You translate the what they'll learn into a benefit. OK, you know, by Doing this, it'll free your time and make your life that much greater. Because of this, you're, you know, in such and such. And if you translate those, it's important. It's kind of like when I worked for Apple, we were on the sales floor. And let's say a little old lady comes up to me and she says, oh, which computer should I get? And if I responded, well, this 3.4 gigahertz dual core, you know, AMD processor would make it incredibly fast. And this, you know, 64 gigabyte RAM will make sure that you'll never have to open up the computer. <laughs> yeah, she'd be like, oh, dear, you know, and she'd be out. But if I said, you know, of course, I love to give questions first. So I'd ask her, well, what are you using the computer for? You know, what is the most important for you? And then I will translate that to where it benefits. Well, ma'am, with this computer over here, you'll be able to see the beautiful faces of your grandchildren every time you jump on Skype. You know, well, back then it was Skype. Now it's Zoom, right? And with this, your email will show up and you will have no problems, you know, blah, blah. See, I've translated what's most important to her. The benefit is seeing her grandchildren. The benefit is being able to get her email, you know. Uh, the benefit is... And so we, when we write book descriptions for nonfiction, we really need to translate the benefit. Don't say 2.4 gigahertz. Say, you know, your children will look so real on that screen. You'll you'll think you can reach out and touch them. That little, little lady always bought the computer. Okay. And, and it's really important that we treat our book descriptions the same way. Last thing that I'll say on book descriptions, because I mean, we could spend a whole hour or two on just the subject. But the last thing I tell authors is, 
always close with a call to action. We found that if you just put a simple, go get this book now, that your conversion rates doubled. And one of the biggest things about that is I love, love, love a statement, which is skirts the rules, but I, it's still on the right side of the rules. And that is, well, Amazon tells you, you can't say that the book's on sale. You can't say, you know, anything particular about the price, right? Like as in, you know, before the price reduces to this or before the price, like specific numbers. And the reason why they say that is they don't want the information that Amazon presents to be wrong with what you wrote in the book description. Because sometimes Amazon can change your price without you knowing about it. There's a whole thing on that. But if they change your price and your book description says something off, then people are going to get mad. So they tell you don't do that. So what I like to tell people on the call to action is put in there, make sure to get this book before the price changes. Now, by putting that changes, you are still in line with anything Amazon does. You're in line with anything you do, but it gives a little bit of urgency to that reader of, oh, you know, I was thinking about just getting this later, but yeah, I better get it before that price changes. Would it be right, Dave, to say that the major shift here is not to create a product description, but to create a marketing con sales page to convert? You should write it as you would write a landing page. No, that's why that's why I call it the Amazon book sales page. Exactly. It really is. And like I said, when I look at some of the common issues that authors have on this section, it's because they put too many details. They write giant paragraphs. They don't list, you know, they don't convert features to benefits. Um, they don't bold. So the eyes like in order for me to read this book description, I've got to read the whole thing. And that's just not the way the internet works. Um, it's sad, but it's true. And I, I think anybody listening to this is probably like, oh, yeah, I do kind of stink, scan them, don't I? You know, more so scanning more so with nonfiction, probably reading a bit more with fiction. I think a lot of people with fiction will start reading and they're like, meh, yeah. doesn't fit what I'm looking for and move on. With nonfiction, people will, they want to scan through. And if it really looks like it's for them and it's going to answer their problems, then they'll spend a little bit more time or they'll just click buy. Uh, what else did you find in that uh, research? I think yeah, I've heard you mention something about video. Well, you can do video and video is picked up specifically for uh, physical products. But what I do tell people is like, hey, look, if you have your street team or you have an author, you know, readers, you know, that, that the moment you launch a book that you're going to tell them, hey, great, can you please go leave a review? One of the things I tell a lot of people is, hey, can you just take a picture of you holding the book or the picture of the book on your coffee table or something like that and add that to your review. And the reason why this really does well is that because as people are scrolling down, it's not often you see people leaving a review with a picture of the book. And this makes it more real to the shopper that, wow, there are people that are taking pictures. It's kind of like when you go to the restaurant, right? You know, or well, not everybody, but a lot of like millennials or, you know, younger people or so they'll go to the restaurant. What are they doing? They're snapping a picture of their food, right? And they're writing all about it and they're posting about it. Well, the fact that they see people doing that about a book um, is has really driven a lot more engagement. And so if you have people that you can kind of tell, hey, make sure to leave that review, add in there. Hey, and if you can, can you just put a picture of it? You know, I had to put a picture of you, but, you know, just put a picture of it on your desk or in your bookshelf or something like that. Um, and that really drives up more engagement. And the last thing on the sales page, too, that's really um, an eye opener is making sure to take advantage of your editorial review section. So Amazon allows you through Amazon Central to be able to create your editorial section. And the editorial review section is where, honestly, you get to put whatever you want, you know, and 
back in the day, Amazon used to say this and it was so funny and I still remember it. They've removed it since, but the heart of it's still there is they would basically say something to lines of like, and even your mom, you know, anything your mom said about it, you could put in here. That was the cheekiest thing I've ever seen on an official (laughs) Amazon page, which is why it's stuck in there, but they've removed it. But the point is you can put anything. So if a blogger were to write it, if your neighbor was, you know, to say something nice about it, you can still put it in there. So what I tell people is for the editorial review section, I highly recommend that they find other writers in their genre or, you know, people in their subject matter. If you're a nonfiction and you're writing something about medical or health or whatever, and you know a doctor, then just get a quote from them, okay? The quote, though, isn't what people read. The shoppers never read what the person says. What they actually look at is what the quantifier is. So what qualifies this person to talk about this book? And so it wasn't John Smith. It was doctor of such and such, John Smith. That's the thing they looked at. If it's, um, you know... If, say, for example, you're writing that litter PG cultivation, um, finding another litter PG cultivation author. Again, maybe they don't know the name and that's okay. But if that person has had a best selling book on Amazon, you know, which is very doable, um, that we could talk about in a second. But all you have to do is best selling litter PG author, international best selling litter PG author, you know, or best selling, you know, international litter or best selling fantasy author. All of those even though they might not know that name gives more credence to your book because somebody who did that, that is clearly in the genre or clearly in that topic has said something really good about your book. And to not have that there, especially when you're able to curate that is a really big missed opportunity. So to recap on this, really spend time on your book description. If you are getting reviews, make sure to get those pictures and take advantage of that editorial review section. And that was through Author Central. Yes. And actually yes. for for any of those aspiring authors among the listeners who are not in the UK or the US of one of the primary Amazon markets, I'm in Denmark, for example, I often have this problem that all of my Danish audience, they cannot actually leave a review if they're not frequent Amazon customers. But this can be a way to capture that endorsement anyway and get it on your details page. So categories, Dave. We didn't touch upon those. We touched upon the keywords. How about the categories? I know it's a huge topic and I'm actually hosting a summit where you will be speaking next month. Uh, so um, there we will be diving more into it. But can you just give us a, a, a little piece of it now? Yeah, so categories are probably more important than people think. Categories serve three really important parts, okay? The first thing to the category selection is, and that's the obvious one, which is helping Amazon to better understand your book. So when you select your your three categories, you're telling Amazon, hey, Amazon, just, just really understand that this book really is about this. So when you're taking my keywords and you're taking all the information from my book, you better know, like you have a better idea of where to put it. If you really confuse them or mess this up, it can really hurt Amazon's ability to put your book where it should be. And, and what I mean by put your book in where it should be, what I'm saying is, to put your book in front of the right shoppers, okay? So that's the first benefit. The second benefit is that there are book categories out there that Amazon shoppers love to go to to get their next read. Now, this is really important for fiction authors because there are a lot of of fiction categories where readers go to to get their next fix. I totally go to the Lit RPG category 
all the time to look for the best sellers as well as the new, you know, uh, the new books on the market. And I am reading them, but I'm also a voracious reader. So there's a lot of fiction categories that drive more sales and drive more eyeballs to your book. In nonfiction, it's it's not as strong as fiction, but there are definitely uh, nonfiction categories that play a strong role in this. Now, like, you know, we can all imagine like mathematics, like most people aren't going to the mathematics, you know, and saying, oh, man, I got to get my next fix on calculus. You know, what's the, what's the latest on calculus? Like, it's not happening that way. But in like money and business and things like that, oh, you better believe it. So that's the second thing that categories do. And the third thing, and this is so critical and, and it, it's such a great move. And I think it's something that all authors want is to hit that bestseller status. The key is, is that in order to get a bestseller tag and therefore to consider yourself a bestselling author is that you have to sell more books in one day than all the other books in an Amazon category. Now, the good news is there's 14,000 Amazon categories and there are many categories out there that only require a couple of sales a day, if that, in order to hit number one bestseller. So it's really important to know the difference between the categories that you're selecting. But another really big thing about this is that when you are a best-selling uh, book, you get the orange bestseller tag and that sticks out all over the place. So when people do a Amazon search for your, you know, for, for something, they're, they're looking for like how to lose weight and all the other books are showing up, but your book has that bestseller tag next to it. Okay. Now it's not, you know, maybe the bestseller tag is, is for some sub, 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 sub genre or, you know, sub, sub, sub category. That doesn't matter. It just says bestseller, which means that anybody searching will, your book is going to stick out beyond anybody else's and it's going to give it credence. Cause I'm like, wow, okay. I typed for this and this is the bestseller. So people will click on it. The other thing too, is, is that if they land on your Amazon book sales page, it also says bestseller on it. And what we found is this is like social proof where the shoppers are like, oh man, people must be reading this and loving it because it's a bestseller. And so now they're more inclined to buy. So your book sticks out, it gets in front of more people and it has higher conversions because of that social proof component. And so categories can really be a great part of the strategy and there's a very important thing to make sure you get right. Now, one of the things that we're gonna be talking in, in detail um, at the summit is really a lot of the pitfalls to the new category system. And so I'm going to give you guys kind of a brief overview on this and why this is super important to understand. And we'll get into the real nitty gritty and the, the, the strong understanding of this later. But there, Amazon now has it that when you go into Kindle Direct Publishing to publish your book, they allow you to select three categories. Okay. Seems super simple and easy, right? Not exactly. There's a bunch of problems with this category system that people don't know about. And the first is, is that, and this is the most important one, 27% of all those categories are called ghost categories. Okay. And it's, it's a term that I came up with just because I, I'm pretty sure I was the first to discover this. And I, I don't think Amazon's happy with it, but it's true. The 27% of all their categories, I call them ghost categories because no matter what you do, you can't get bestseller for. It doesn't exist. They're fake categories. And so if you put your book in that category, even if you sell an incredible amount of books and you destroy everybody, you will not get a bestseller tag for that category. That means you have a one in four chance that you're going to select a, a category that does nothing for you. That sucks. Another really big issue with ghost categories is ghost categories don't have a category page. So if somebody is shopping for, you know, and going through categories and looking for your book, they will not find it that way. So you lose out on the bestseller tag and nobody can shop for it. 
the only benefit to it is basically telling Amazon, hey, Amazon, I believe my book represents this. That's it. You've you got one out of three things. So I tell people to avoid ghost categories as much as possible, unless that ghost category is such a perfect descriptor for your book, then at least just try to make one of them ghosts. But if you make three of your choices be ghosts, you know, like you're really losing out on a lot. So beware of ghost categories. Uh, number two is also we found out that 54% of all categories listed are duplicates. They're duplicates of each other. And so understanding which ones are duplicates and, and the strategy with them is going to be really important. It can actually, if you do this correctly, it will drive even, you'll actually be on more categories than what you selected. And so it can be a really cool uh, process. And the final big piece is that while you can select three, Amazon reserves the right, and they say this publicly, that they can add you and remove you from any categories they want. And so people are like, what? So a couple of weeks after you publish, you may find out you're in completely different categories than, than you asked for. And this really makes authors mad. And there's no form to fill out to tell them, hey, can you please change this or correct this? That, nope, they took that away. That used to be a thing we could do. They took it away. And so what we discovered was that the only way to really get Amazon to stick, because it's an automated system that chooses what categories you go and removes you, it's your keywords. So if you're using keywords that Amazon's algorithm believes strongly stay, you know, uh, strongly state that you belong in that category, then the system keeps you in it. So one of the things we tell people is make sure that you're choosing, you know, you have the seven Kindle keyword boxes and make sure you're using like two of those seven Kindle keyword boxes to strongly tell Amazon that these are the categories I should be in. And you need to make sure you understand what keywords you should use for those. So then again, to repeat, while the category system is, it seems simple on, you know, on the surface, you have three major pitfalls. And if you don't understand those, you could really lose out on traffic. You could really lose out on the chances of getting in front of Amazon shoppers. And you can really lose on getting a bestseller status, which helps again with conversions as well as um, just more eyeballs. Is there a reason why this is happening? Is there some kind of benefit for Amazon or is it just a messed up system? <laughs> I have my theories. I don't have any concrete data to support it, but my belief based off of what we've what we've seen from Publisher Rocket, and again, I'm going to stress this. This is my thoughts, okay? I believe that Amazon, when they go to the genre and the interests of people are changing all the time. And I think a long time ago, Amazon used to buck the whole request from people of like, oh, we want to be, we, come on, get with the times, Amazon. There's this new category thing that's super hot and you guys aren't doing anything about it. And Amazon pushed back and they never did anything about it. Then they started doing something about it. And what I think happened was that they realized, man, this is a lot of work. So they created this system now with ghost categories where, okay, we created a category for you authors. There you go but they don't have to change up what's called their, their website sitemap and their linking structure. They don't have to generate these pages. It's just this random, poof, there you go. <laughs> doesn't mess with our data. Doesn't, you know, to me, it almost feels like it's like 10% of the work. So if they create a ghost category, then it's only 10% of the effort. Otherwise, if they create a real category, they have to change all these things. They have to make sure they didn't break any links and all that. They don't want to. That's my thought. I, I, I think it's just, put it bluntly, Amazon being lazy and trying to pull the wool <laughs> over our, our heads, you know? 
like trying to pretend, oh yeah, there you go. We we did it for you, you know, there enjoy that category and I, I love one of the examples you gave gave in one of your videos with category name later. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Just to reiterate, Amazon system, like I don't think they're changing it. I and there's a lot of reason to believe that there's a little bit of laziness slash maybe just not caring, is that there are currently seven categories that is listed in their KDP that says the name of the category. And then in parentheses, in all caps, it says rename. And so there, my favorite one is the one called turtles. Literally, it's turtles, parentheses, rename. Like the programmers were like, oh yeah, we got to rename this one. Well, let's just put a note here so we don't forget. Yeah, well, that was like five months ago <laughs> and it's still there. Like all you have to do, I, I can go in there and fix it for you if you want. You know, like all you have to do, Here's go to a part of the code and delete it or just part of the code and put that in there. And I mean, it should be a variable tag on the other pages. And yet there it sits, whole bunch of renames. So uh, it just cracks me up. I guess all all big uh, complex systems are also quite faulty. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the biggest issues with this right now is we talked about the ghost categories. We talked about the duplicates. We talked about, you know, the keywords and everything, right? That Amazon doesn't make that information public. Amazon wasn't going to tell authors about ghost categories. There's nowhere on their entire page that admits that we have categories where you can't rank for, you can't get bestseller, and nobody will find it. But here they are. And so the only way that authors can do that right now is that if they own Publisher Rocket, if you go into our category feature, we have tagged every one of them. So you can see exactly. You can see all the categories. And by the way, it's there to help you find the best categories real quickly. It will also tell you how many sales you need to make that day in order to be a number one bestseller. And then it will have tags that says ghost category, duplicate, you know, and other things that are really important for authors to know. Uh, and no joke, it's really the only way to figure that out at this point. Hopefully there's things designed later or so, but it's really, really hard to figure out if something's a ghost. So so if you if you already own Publisher Rocket, uh, one of the things, it's only $97 for life. Uh, so you get all of the updates, all of the new features. And so if you haven't op opened up your rocket in a bit or so, just open it up. It'll sense the new update and then boom, you can go in and immediately go check to see what categories your books are a part of. Because like we said, they change them for, on you. Then go and check to verify that you didn't select ghosts. And the third thing is we have a button where if you click it on that category, it will tell you all the best keywords for that category. So you can ensure you stay where you want, ensure you have a chance of bestseller, you know, and improve your chances on uh, being seen. Yeah. And to the listeners, guys, don't wait with this until you want to create the metadata for your book and publish it. Like we talked about in the beginning, you should really get in there quite early in your process and, and get this right. And not necessarily the categories from the beginning, but maybe even that, uh, but at least the keywords. Yeah. And the keyword feature itself is what tells you how many searches per month a a keyword gets. So if you're doing your research and you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I position this book or where should I start with knowing what phrases people are typing into Amazon when looking for your kind of book and what they're buying uh, is going to be really important step. And also the competition, right? That's one of the things oh, that yeah. I love about it. That 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 uh, because sometimes uh, people think they can just ask other people what they type in, but that will not give you the information about who else used those keywords, <laughs> or how yes. and or rather how many else used those keywords. So choosing and leadership as a keyword is uh, hardly ever relevant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and 
so there's I know that sounds like a lot of steps to a lot of people out there. And we've got phenomenal tutorials um, that really don't take much time. And you can sit down with those tutorials. And believe me, it can be a real game changer. So uh, if that sounds too techy or too hard, we got you covered. But I, like I said, as an author, it's authorpreneur. Make sure you, you you work on your craft, but understanding the business side is so important for getting your book in front of the right readers. And I think that's something we all want. Last question, Dave. Is there any advantages that traditional publishers has on Amazon that self-publishers do not? Yes and no. The good thing is, and kind of the, the funny thing is, the publishing companies took forever before they finally adopted Amazon in a way. Uh, most of them kind of thumbed their nose at it. They stuck their nose up in the air and they were slow to really get involved with it. With It It wasn't until years, years later that they all of a sudden realized, oh my goodness, these self-published authors are, you know, totally destroying us. Like, so they have, um, they started to really focus on Amazon, which is why they started working with me. So that's why I got a whole bunch of calls, you know, and working with them to help them kind of sounds terrible to say, but kind of work yeah. in the digital world, if you will. And anybody who's worked with publishers, I think they're probably laughing at that statement because they know exactly what I mean by that. But in time, they have signed certain contracts. Sometimes they have a couple of benefits, um, you know, because Amazon has strict policies on like, for example, pricing. Well, some of the big publishers are like, I'm not putting it on there if I have to do your pricing or I lose that percentage. So they do have like benefits and they structure the pricing differently. Um, some of them also receive like different features or capabilities, especially with management. Some of them have more direct conversations with Amazon uh, because of the power of their market. And so while they do have those things, I would say that that, is, uh, that could be seen as a major competitive advantage, but it's not as much because what I have found and this is me sitting in on the board meetings um, and helping with selection of books is that the publishing companies, they, and this is, this is a arbitrary numbers, but it, it illustrates the point. Okay. Uh, let's say this company can only sign 25 books in a quarter. Okay. Usually what is the case is that they might only have the funding to really promote and focus on two of the 25. So you could get a deal signed. Oh, yay, I'm now a published author. And now you have a small chance that the publisher is actually going to do the work for on you, right? That publisher is only going to focus on these two. And those two are usually the ones where they know they're going to get their money back. Like, ah, oh, Stephen King just submitted his book. Well, there's one, right? You know, and so and so and so. And, and a lot of what plays into them signing you or them actually putting more financial backing and therefore effort behind you is what makes them feel like they're going to make more money from you. Like as in they're going to make money from your book more so than the other books there. Okay. So like if you're an author that has a large email list, if you're an author that has had success as self-publishing, if you're an author that shows them, you know, you have connections um, or something like that, those things play into their decision matrix, sadly, more than whether the book is good or not. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything at the board is usually good, but I've seen where book A was way better read than book B, but book B had an author that had a giant email list. So they put more backing on book B. Another thing that's really played into it is trend market. So uh, another big part about it was while book A was much better, book B fit a hot trend. So you add a hot trend with a backing of a good author and clearly book B was, was their bell cow. And so- I would say that they, while again, they have all those benefits and they have all these other things they can do, 
generally speaking, they're usually only put, you know, rolling up their sleeves and putting some elbow grease on a couple of them. And the rest are just kind of out there. And if they do well, then all of a sudden, you know, the publishing company will focus on that book a little bit more. Uh, but most of the time, they just kind of throw them out there and see what happens. All right. Where do you think this industry is heading? What's going to happen next? Yeah, I believe that, well, I mean, it's it's one can't answer that question without at least talking about AI. And what I believe is that it is in Amazon's best interest to ensure that the quality of books is, or has a system to ensure the quality of books is better. Because what Amazon is most afraid of is that, and again, this is not an ethnocentric statement, but that authors from countries that don't speak English as a primary language are going to use AI systems to mass generate books and just flood the market. And that doesn't do well for Amazon because if shoppers start realizing the quality of books that they buy on Amazon is worse than, say, another place, they will leave Amazon. So regardless of how much AI overtakes or so, I believe we will see Amazon spend more time ensuring that books are quality, that books are good. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use AI, but what it is, is I believe you can't use AI solely. Um, I think that the authors that are using AI systems to help them maybe write more effectively or efficiently, they're using it as a muse. Those authors will be able to probably put out more books um, and probably at higher quality. And I think they're going to be fine. But the ones that are thinking this is a simple solution of, you know, pop, 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 throw it in there, generate, throw it in there, generate, crank it out. I think they're going to wake up to a very rude awakening. I think that in time, uh, those books will be banned or shut down or something like that. And, uh, but I, I do think that AI will be a bit of, of the process of writing and not so much overtaking writing. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I've seen that Amazon has already implemented that you actually have to respond to that question yep. uh, before you publish. Is it written with AI or by AI? <laughs> well, and, you know, my belief, because I, I, I've spent a lot of time in programming for machine learning as well as AI systems. And my belief on this is Amazon, like the best way to learn what is generated by AI is by knowing first if it was generated by AI. So what I mean by that is you could have your algorithm, your machine learning system, okay? And that's where it, it machine learning is, is kind of what AI really is. Machine learning looks at a whole bunch of information and then it, it realizes stuff. And then AI takes the realization and it uses that to make stuff, okay? So that's really how ML uh, AI work, machine learning AI. Well, in order for Amazon to create a system that helps them with quality, they need to know what books were actually written with AI or assisted by AI or don't have AI. So if authors are now putting that information in, they can use their machine learning to say, okay, got it. So all these books were assisted, all these books were fully written, and all these books were never touched by it. And now their system can do better at trying to figure out and perhaps maybe Uh, know what it's looking for. And so I, I that's my belief. And again, I'm going to stress that. That's my belief that Amazon put that in there just for that purpose right there, which is to help their machine learning get smarter. Yeah, it's a process for all of us, including for Amazon. <laughs> it is, yep. Uh, and they're probably a little mad that it wasn't them that came out with it, but it was OpenAI and, and Microsoft's a part of that. There's a whole bunch of war you know, between the whale uh, tech companies right now over this whole system. So 
I'm just going to sit here, eat my popcorn and watch what happens and be prepared. <laughs> That's all we all can do, I think. Yes, ma'am. So, Dave, thank you so much for this interview. Where can people go find more uh, more about you and get Publisher Rocket? Sure. Well, you can find me at kindlepreneur.com. That's Kindle Entrepreneur, one word. And I've got a contact page there. If there's any questions based off of what we had, you can hit me up there and I still respond to it. Otherwise, you can go to publisherrocket.com and check that out. All right. I'm going to put the link in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And again, thanks for having me. 